podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Chills. Well, 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 what a surprise we've got today. Andy, Andy Saunders, is away. He's in the Caribbean because, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in PR. And I tell you, he'll tell you if you see him in public, he's loaded, absolutely loaded. So he's minted up and he's he's gone over there to get a bit of sunshine. But we've got someone to bring some sunshine into the Chels podcast on this Strange, slightly dismal, dreary, miserable, wet week. It's only Mr. Seb Fontaine. Now known as Storm Seb from the hell that I'm going to rain upon to, <laughs> upon the show today. <laughs> uh, you know, I couldn't think of a more perfect moment to get you back in. You know, when I lose what, what some consider the angriest man in podcast world, we get somebody who, who is known to have his moments too. So, <laughs> so have you been, how's your year been starting so far? You know what? Insanely busy. Um, I mean, January was nice. I had a couple of weeks off and then it's just been gigging every weekend. This week I did uh, Brighton and Leeds and then I, I, it, it's just madness. And then I'm back to Australia in March and just all kinds of stuff, some Formula One stuff. So just really, really good. Re- it's, it, you know, music scene's very healthy. Well, it is very healthy. Um, and we, we were talking beforehand, you, you know, about uh, the world of DJs. I mean, it, it was rock this week with the, the sad news about Andrew Weatherall. And, uh, you know, we're talking about DJs. It's, it's a different world now, isn't it, than it used to be? Yeah, I'd, for some weird reason, I think we have America to thank for this. They think that all DJs need to be smiling or, you know, sitting there grinning like inane fools. I mean, you know, I, I, my favourite DJs are kind of the grumpy ones. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy in my own grump, really. As, as I've always said, only happy when complaining. <laughs> Do you ever get asked to smile a bit when you're DJing? Yeah, it's a, it's it's quite an abusive retort that I have in my pocket, ready for that one. I'd like a, you know, I think DJ should be playing music. I, you know, I, I don't think we should be juggling or wearing clown shoes, but that's that's probably for another day. No, exactly. But but just one last question: Can you juggle? <laughs> <laughs> Only good tunes. Ah, uh, oh, we got out of that one well. Excellent. Well, okay, it's been it's been a funny old week because we've had this winter break for football although there were some really rubbish games on the first week of the winter break apologies to those teams who played but not that much and then supposedly everything came back to normal this week and we got the second half so it was sort of a a weird winter break the way it was divided up wasn't it didn't you think so Seb? Yeah it was just you know a winter break should be that and 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 I quite admired Klopp when he said no I'm not turning up for that game it's during the winter break and lots of people like how dare you not go see the youth and I just think you know if the FA have a winter break they should stick to the winter break and not put bloody games in it and I think you know they should be looking at you know uh, rematches in the FA Cup and stuff like that and I think they should honour the winter break I mean it's there for a reason because because of burnout so what's the point in some people playing during the winter break no I agree Uh, and also just giving people two weeks off supposedly will help with injuries I mean we'll get on to our injury sheet a bit later because 
it didn't seem to help us against United. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a kind of a strange time. It, I didn't mind it so much because I went and found uh, stuff to do. And I, actually, I went abroad and uh, was over in Sweden for a while, thinking, "Great, I don't have to worry about missing football." But it it is a long gap, isn't it? A couple of weeks without proper football. Well, it is when it when the football comes back and you get beaten by United two now. If we'd have won, I think the great the break would have felt worth it. But I think that was it. Yeah, was it's, it's obvious it's it does. Yeah, it was, and it's obvious the break doesn't work because we came back and we were still a bit rubbish. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose you know we, we should get on to United and. Um, you know i haven't been able to go for a while and this is my first game back for quite some time and i was thoroughly looking forward to it i had this real sense of now what's that word ah yeah it's hope it's hope and as andy would say it's the hope that kills you and and uh i i was kind of a bit bemused turning up um i'd actually predicted uh that kovacic would start instead of mount and that caballero would carry on in place of kepa um and uh, but the one i didn't see was tammy being injured and that batshuai would be picked over Giroud. now hindsight is a wonderful thing but i think we learned certain things about certain players against united but but first i would i would like to you know talk to you about your thoughts on the whole kepa situation uh, and what's going on and how you view how it's being handled I think Frank's stamping his authority, and I think he has to. I mean, look, I I have a general ongoing rant on this show and at home and probably in my sleep about how badly our club is run at the moment or has been up to now, whether that's changed, you know, maybe, you know, Naz can tell us differently. But, you know, there was a time that we had... A, a, another world-class keeper on loan somewhere waiting in the wings because we used to identify players well 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 in advance and have them waiting in the wings not all, not all of them turned out to be great but but we had a plan we had a long-term plan now when Courtois was desperate to leave Chelsea was flashing his knickers at Real Madrid every single week which wound me up um you know we knew he wanted to leave and yet we we, we spent 77 million on Kepa on the it was like the last two days of the transfer season. It just showed no real plan. No, it felt like a panic buy. And, and, and for me, it feels like, listen, I think there's a good keeper in Kepa. I think he's had a, uh, you know, a poor run. I know the stats would suggest otherwise, but I think he's a good keeper, but he's not a 77 million keeper. And I have a feeling that the Chelsea board are giving Lampard pressure to play him because otherwise they look like bloody idiots for spending 77 million on Kepa and I think there's a bit of a battle between Lampard and the board over this or or so some newspapers would let you believe but I think you know this is not Lampard's his remit is not to um kind of you know gloss over the board's bad buys if he doesn't fancy him he should be allowed to drop him and uh, and be under no pressure I mean I, I I just think our club you know coming up to a transfer ban we you know quite clearly needed a striker which we didn't buy you know we we just seem to have no long-term plans with you know with with buying players and acquisitions I know we've signed Zayek recently you know ahead so it would feel like we're getting some work done but I think after the disastrous transfer window we've had I think that the board had to look like they were doing something to probably please Lampard I know Andy thinks 
that wasn't the end of the world, not having been busy in the transfer window. But I just feel that, that we just seem to be bumbling along a little bit. Well, I, I think so. Although I, I would argue that perhaps what's happening is we're seeing a new era and new eras take a while to, to get moving. And, and I think that for me, buying nobody in January, it didn't really bother me because who are we going to get? You You look at, you know, United, they're having to buy... Well, they bought Bruno Fernandes, who looks so he's probably a very decent player. But then they have to buy, you know, players from from uh, China and things or, or get them on loan because so little is available. And the one thing Chelsea fans moan about all the time is how many bench warmers and group, uh, group squad players that we have bought in the last few years as opposed to top, top names. We've got all those people that fill gaps in a certain way. Really, the only people we should be adding to the squad are people who immediately walk in over somebody else and says, I'm here, I'm going to change this team. And I just don't think anyone was available. The only person you would think that was an interesting buy this summer, this this winter, striker-wise, was Haaland. I mean, what, what an amazing kid that is. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, just phenomenal. Um, but, but I think we should have been doing better business before the before the upcoming transfer ban. It, you know, this is not just one one um, one window that we've missed. We've missed a few windows of bad buys now because. You know, we we should have been stocking up ahead of the transfer ban, and we just we just didn't. You know, we haven't. We I don't think we've ever really placed replaced Diego Costa. I mean, um, Morata didn't do it, and quite clearly didn't do it. And Giroud was, you know, he, he never really did it at Arsenal. I think he's a great second striker. He's br- great to bring on. You know, but I, he's not going to be the answer to all your problems. And I just think they just seem it just ahead of the transfer ban. I know we had it overturned. It just felt like poor poor thinking yeah i mean perhaps i i would i would argue that that perhaps the the ban took everyone by surprise and and i agree things have not been right before then but uh, i i think maybe things i don't know whatever is i think we find ourselves in a new era and i think that's something that people have to remember and you know you've seen a lot of whinging already this this last week or so with people saying oh i'm not sure lampard's the man for the job and you think oh do me a favor the guy has really come into a club where you're absolutely right there's been poor buys there's been a lot of decent buys for backup players but top names are not there young kids are coming in they're going to be you know circumspect about being consistent all the time they're going to go up and down in form that's understandable and frank has been left with really two perhaps three managers leftovers as a squad Uh, and to even hint that frank is no longer uh, the right man for the job we don't we won't know i don't think for another 18 months how frank is we need to see him with at least one proper window and see what he can do to to adapt the squad to his needs okay he makes a few mistakes for me tactically and with some of his selection um but you know he's learning and we bought all into that at the beginning of the season and here we are in fourth okay only one point clear now as opposed to however many it was nine or ten before that um but you know we would still have bitten your hand off to be in this position at this stage of the season at the beginning of the season 
I mean, I mean, I think, uh, I can't remember whether it was on this show or something else. Someone said, where do you think you'll finish? This is before the season. I said seventh. And I think seventh with no buys, new manager, loads of kids would have been a fair showing, actually. And I st- it looks like, that, you know, I, mean, I think we were kind of punching above our weight at fourth. I, I think we're going to really struggle to hang on to fourth. I still believe Frank's the man for the job. I still believe that we're going in the right direction. I, if, I, if I'm honest, I have a little bit of confusion at the moment. And that's why we look, even when we're two goals up, we look like we could lose any game. It, it just looks like we have a certain nervousness about us. It just, we make ridiculous mistakes i mean okay take monday's game i mean actually i tell you why i'm not angry about monday because i can get angry really? i tell you why i'm not actually we, we were fighting to the end we were really fighting despite having two goals disallowed and there's a whole vile conversation there we were literally fighting right to the end and i like that and i you know I, it, it's not our worst game i've seen much worse games from us this season where you know we've just been woeful i mean the christmas period threw up some truly dreadful games i think boxing day was one of the worst i've ever seen actually and and actually i thought the united game you know listen it's all part of the spectacle of football having two goals disallowed and keep fighting back and and actually i i think that the, the the players showed some decent mental strength on that um, you know, there was a couple of mistakes, led to a couple of goals, but I, I, I haven't got massive anger about that game as I have about other games. This well, season. it's interesting. I, I, I thought a lot didn't go in our favour. I still don't think it was a particularly cohesive performance, but I guess, you know, we are struggling to put out a decent side at the moment. Kante going off injured so early on really didn't help. Uh, I'm still not convinced, as we've been saying, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, what would happen if we sold him? You know, would that be the biggest crime of all if we're going to play him out of position? Because also the interesting thing about Kante is that, uh, you know, um, uh, last season, Sarri got pilloried by fans and press and what have you alike for playing Kante, not in the deep role. Um, and everyone said, it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous. Nobody's given Frank any grief over it. He's made his mind up that's the way to go as well. So there must be something in it. I just am not convinced it suits the setup to have Kante out of position. And also, him getting injured again. This is a guy who never used to have injuries. And you think in the last year or so now, he's been picking up some pretty strong injuries. I, listen, I, I think the whole Kante thing, I agree, you know, Sarri, I, 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 Sarri, there was a general dislike for the man anyway, but I, and I, I, but I am seeing um, Frank getting a, a few knocks for the whole, whole um, playing Kante out position, actually. And, and I, the one thing I do think, I think when your defence is capable of mistakes, which we are, because actually, individually, all our players, all our defenders are pretty good, but together we just, there's a, like I said, there's a nervousness, and what I do think is putting Kante in front of that nervousness, nervousness might shore it up a little bit. And I don't understand why it's just been flat refused. I, 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 you know, I do find that bit annoying. Come on, let's give this a go. We seem to be giving everything else a go. Why not that? Yeah, I agree. It, it feels a bit stubborn, but uh, it, it's the midfield is. I, th- I think every area of the pitch is now 
with problems you know when you look when you look at the beginning of the season it was just the defense that seemingly was being sorted out the midfield took care of itself with the injuries that were and I still maintain one of the biggest problems for that midfield was when Kante came back from injury and then Frank wasn't sure how to play it it had been playing very well with Jorginho Kovacic and Mount now Kante comes back in, Kovacic dropped out, then Mount dropped out, then uh, Jorginho dropped out, and we've never really got the balance back. Uh, and Ross Barkley, well, I mean, he's almost as, as much a forgotten man as Giroud at the moment. Um, so th- there's, a, there's a bit of a mess going on. Now, against Man United, I, I hate to say it, but Pedro started off really well. I know he gets a bit of a uh, a kicking on social media. I, I like Pedro. I think it's obvious that he's gone past his sell-by date in a lot of ways. He'll try, but he's not a 90-minute uh, match player now. I think he's a great, um, great substitute. You know, around the 50, 60 minute mark, I think he's got great energy. He's got, he's still got good pace. Yeah. Um. I mean, I mean, th- I'm going back to social media. I mean, there seems to be. A, a, an army of mount haters which i just don't get i don't get no, I, I think you know i i i think the whole team has not been pe- performing cohesively for a while i mean to single mount out i you know i, I know he give, i think we all they all give the ball away too much william gives the ball away too much and i really like william i i, I just think there's something there you know what we need a few wins on the trot i, th- I think some new blood would have really lifted us it hasn't so i i, I just think you know, but to get to start singling individually, I don't think any one of those players individually is worth worth singling out for criticism. I really don't. I just think there's a general nervousness that's spread from the defence up the field to everywhere now, yeah. Yeah. and we literally look like oh, we're two 0 up, but we could still lose this. And I yeah. think there's um there's there's a there's something in our mindset that's just not happy because we're really capable of playing good football but they're very capable players and we've got a good young exciting manager all the ingredients are there something's missing well i, I tell you what's missing is the imaginary 2-0 lead that we keep getting from you <laughs> I, I dream of having a 2-0 lead and giving it up now you know i mean we can't seem to score a single goal and i have to say and i don't like singling players out cue singling out players but um i i do think we saw i'm afraid to say it just how poor batshuayi is and i i think he's he's obviously a good character uh people seem to like him you see the way he, he behaves with the other players but he's just not up to it i mean really he he is incapable of holding the ball up or laying it off or giving the defenders a battle he survives on being mobile which is obviously why frank picks him over giroud but mobility can get you to places but if you can't take the ball with you or do something with the football you've got a big problem yeah i mean yeah I, you know he should arguably never have really come back but well <laughs> You know, if they can't sell him, they can't sell him. But I, I, I'm surprised that he overtook Giroud's place. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, look, we, we have to look at Giroud and, and go, the last time he started for us was against West Ham, and that was a woeful performance. Um, it was as bad as Batshuayi's. Let's get that 
right straight away because you you know it's very easy to go oh well he's so much better than him and he would have done this well mm, no the last time he started out for us he he had a pretty shocking game um as it was he finally came on and showed that actually when he's in the mood he can do things but again he's another player who i think is good for half an hour and that's it so so we're kind of left in a in a strange limbo land um we've got a lot of injuries as well uh, I was quite surprised uh, that we didn't see Tammy. It just shows that he's obviously been playing through the pain and then that last injury was enough to knock him out um, of, of contention for the United game. Um, we, miss it. we miss him, but in a way, I'm glad he's having a few weeks off because I think he was starting to look a bit leggy anyway. So um, again, young player playing at this level for the first time in his career, uh, it's, it's really not surprising that he's not quite the finished article yet isn't it yeah uh, did you see any of the atletico uh liverpool game it was a kind of here's what you're not missing chelsea strikers there was morata <laughs> morata looking quite ineffective and diego costa up to his old tricks <laughs> and, and i really did love diego costa when he was you know just terrorizing defenses but that that kind of looked like quite a while ago watching that game but it was a very interesting game watching Simeone counter club and really you know n- negate that whole attacking threat it was a it was a good game it was just funny seeing Morato and Costa there and oh I, got, I know and we've got no strikers no exactly and I, I have to say Costa he was one of the only players in my life that I would watch during a game, even if the ball was nowhere near him, because he'd be up to something. He, I mean, I'd watch him, and they, and he would smack a defender's backside or pinch them or something, you know. Or and, and he'd always be, oh, sorry about that. He'd be up to something. He'd be ruffling feathers, sometimes jokily, sometimes nastily, and I loved that about him. You didn't know whether he was doing it with a smile or with a, you know, a vitriolic sneer, uh, and 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 he kept defenders guessing, and he did the unexpected, which is what you need from a striker. He could rough them up but then play the most sublime pass or smash it into the net and and we just need somebody to to help Tammy along to because Diego Costa could do it on his own for us um and he would get you out of a nil nil and find you the one nil like that game as, against as did, West as Brom as did Drogba I mean we've yeah. we've always we've always had really strong front men up top and we we haven't had that in a while we've never replaced Costa, I don't no, think, who, no. you know, who, who replaced Drogba. And, and we, I mean, arguably, are those players out there? You know, maybe they're not. I think it's hard to, you know, pinpoint anyone in that mould at the moment. Um, but we definitely I think, are, are need, needing something. I think Tammy could be that man, though. I really do. I just think he needs nurturing as well. And he needs to be pulled out of the firing line when necessary. And maybe this is a perfect opportunity because people know he's injured. So there's no confusion about, oh, he's been dropped because he's not up to it now. He, Oh, yeah, he was good early in the season, but he can't handle it now. This is a perfect opportunity to take him out of the firing line. It doesn't I mean, the help one, the team, but... The, the one thing I don't think has helped us, because I think if you spoke to most Chelsea fans before the season, everyone was very pragmatic. Everyone was like, look, it's going to be a rebuilding season. Everyone, you know, we've got all the kids. Let's just see it. Let's enjoy it. And I, I still am seeing, you know, a, a bit of that personally. And it's just nice, you know, that seeing, you know, proper Chelsea players that have come through the youth. Now, 
I, I think to expect us and to get on their backs so soon is so wrong. Um, you know, I, I, I think maybe we showed glimpses of brilliance in, in too early in the fact that we're, you know, we've come to expect that kind of level of performance you know, throughout the whole season. And, and that's kind of, you know, we were fourth with a lot of points to spare. Uh, and I just think the the level of expectations on these young kids is possibly a bit high. And I, I still think this will be a transition season and it for Frank and probably for the board and for the players. And I, you know what? I just don't think it's end of the world. It's not time to sack managers. It's not time to, to get on Mason Mount's back. It's not time for any of that business. Some players will be shown to be not worth the effort and we'll, we'll sell them but I just think it's always going to be what we said it's going to be at the beginning it's going to be a transition season I mean I'm finding the whole thing a little bit confusing you know how we can be brilliant one minute and awful the next but I think that's part of the transition yeah I, I, I agree with you um, and I, th- I think this is you're right really the time is not to moan about anything that really it's the time to just be a supporters you know, and that's that's the thing. You know, we just need to support the team and get behind them and let them know that it's all okay. You know, it's like a relationship, isn't it? We just got to put our arm around them and go, "Don't you worry, it's okay. We love you still." And that that's how it is. Um, talking about love, the one thing I, you know, okay, this is not really so much about the the match, but it is in a way. What do you think about half-half scarves? We, we've talked about this in the past. Um, half-half scarves, I've now been told they're called friendship scarves. Oh, for what God's sake. What the hell? <laughs> I, I, listen, listen, I, I'm not... I'm I'm one of these people that doesn't want a lot of crap in my life. I, I'm the opposite of a hoarder. And, I, I, you know, you, you never wear that scarf again. That's just... That's just a three pound sweatshop special in my eyes it's nothing you're going to wear to you know your chelsea match every single week i think pick one nice scarf pick one that doesn't give you a rash and then stick with it and i don't get these half half scarves what have you got a box full of scarves with full of half teams that you hate in your in your bedroom <laughs> i don't get it i just no, don't no. get it but what i hate is being in the Matthew Harding lower, looking around me, and people are basically wearing man-new colours in there. I, I just think, okay, I get tourism. Well, you know what? Put your scarf in your sodding bag and shut the hell up, because you obviously aren't a Chelsea supporter, and I, I just can't abide it. I think seeing anything with man-new colours and the crest in our fans is just wrong on every single level. No friendship from me. That's that's all I yeah, can say. I, I, I don't like them. I think they're a waste of waste of nylon, if that was uh, even possible. Yeah, exactly. If they are nylon, there'll be something far more subversive now. So, so you know, um, and I guess it, it was a frustrating night because they had a couple of chances. They put them away well enough. You know, defensively, as we talked about, things are not quite right, and and you can see that that. The, the frustration once something goes wrong and you know Christensen getting injured I mean you could say oh it's his fault for not picking up um, Martial in, on the first goal but he'd literally just run on the pitch and I have to say it's my fault because just before he got injured I was saying the great thing is Christian's starting to look like a player again and yeah. then telling, oh <laughs> you cursed he's, him. He, he's injured and uh, then he ran on and he was just not up with the game when he came on and that was that. But um, I do think 
Go on. The problem, you know, a little bit like the Arsenal game, it, you know, we have chances and, you know, and we, we, we can have 30 chances and, you know, scored two goals. But Arsenal, they had two chances and scored two goals. I mean, I just don't get how wasteful we are, you know, and how, you know, because the movement's good, the playing's good, we get there and just comes to nothing. I mean, it's, it, and I, I think that's why it gets on people's back. I, I think there is clearly a, a massive talent in this group of players and for some reason they're struggling to fire on all cylinders at the moment and, and and i think that's going back to that thing because we've seen how devastating they can be when they're firing on all cylinders and i think that's why people are getting angry because they know they're capable of much more yeah you know and and i tell you the thing i hate the most at the moment this season's uh new thing which is not var which we'll, we'll talk about fractionally in a minute but not too much because i really can't be bothered um but is expected goals what the hell's that that's like going to the railway and seeing expected trains you know most of them in this country don't come at the expected time and it's the same with goals isn't it it's it oh it just drives me nuts oh expected goals 2.6 you know, well, how do you score two point six goals? I've not seen this. I've not seen this oh. expected goal. Maybe I've just blocked it out with you know my kind of old man reasoning. Uh, yeah, well, it's a, it's a very fine reasoning to have. Well, one of the most reasonable and reasoning men that we we know is Mister Nizar Kinsella, who was behind the scenes at the Man U game, and he did this little roundup for us of the the joy, mm, or is it the misery behind the scenes? Nizar Kinsella here, Gold.com's Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Um, just been to watch Chelsea lose 2-0 at home to Manchester United. Not the result anybody would have wanted, inside or outside the camp, who, who has anything to do with Chelsea. Um, but yeah, it, it happened. It's another one of those um, games where Chelsea feel great frustration. VAR at the centre of it all, um, you know, sat on the touchline. We had sort of a lot of ex-pros in and around us. I sat in front, uh, sat behind Gus Poyet. Um, Lee Dixon was around. Um, we had uh, Gary Neville as well knocking about at Stamford Bridge. So um, you had all that kind of reaction and, and watching Gus Poyet just being furious at the re- uh, at the sort of VAR decision sort of was something that I guess every Chelsea fan felt. Um, um, and you know we were sat right in front of it when uh, Harry Maguire kicked out uh, um, at, 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 at um, Michi Batshuayi. It was an incident happened in the in the sort of Chelsea technical area where the coaching staff sits, um, and, and they went right up. You know you saw it on TV. They went right up and were furious. Um, Jody Morris was angry with the fourth official in particular. Frank Lampard just sort of stewing over um, what happened on the night with Kurt Zimmer also having a goal ruled out. Um, so, yeah, it was it was one of those nights kind of thing. Um, after the game, uh, Frank was obviously disappointed. He had particularly pointed uh, the blame at, at VAR. Um, I think, you know, but I think really there's also a sense that the, the sort of striking situation, the forwards, um, that includes uh, William and Pedro weren't firing on the night. Um, and that's been kind of the story of the season, whoever's been playing in those positions. So, um, yeah, a sense of same old Chelsea as well as anger at the VAR. Um, I mean, the Chelsea players left 
the dressing room very quickly after the game. Um, Man United players obviously pumping the music out of their dressing room and in celebratory mood uh, after opening up the top four race. So, um, yeah, you know, Olivier Giroud spoke to the media after the game and he was very, um, you know, positive that he got back in the team after two and a half months out um, and, and wants to help Chelsea. And it might be that they look to him to really boost the squad in the in the coming weeks but yeah certainly uh it's not a happy camp at the moment and there are problems at Chelsea and um yeah I mean the game just showed it and now more big games to come very big games and uh I'll be at them having just had a big holiday myself a big winter break in Brazil and, and flying back to this game so a lot of games coming thick fast a lot of big games and uh yeah it's going to be a pleasure to cover them. Well, that was Naz talking about it. Yeah, it sounds a bit downbeat at the club, and we have to hope that uh, it can all be lifted. And VAR, now VAR, you know, a lot of fans are going, "This is ruining football." I actually felt as though the first VAR, well, the Maguire incident, which, okay, let's face it, was a red card, and the Zuma goal that was disallowed. Well, you know. I think he gets pushed onto him. It becomes a bit of a domino effect. I don't know. The, uh, Gary Neville, I, I read something that he said, which was basically, you know, um, the thing about VAR, if it's to do with offside, at some point a line has to be drawn somewhere. So wherever it is, are people always going to be upset with where the line is? But also his his argument was the most important thing is to improve the fan experience in the stadium and i think that's absolutely right you know it's it's the lack of available opportunity to understand exactly what's going on um while the decisions are being made that i think everyone finds frustrating in rugby it it's uh, it's a, a situation which actually adds to the experience because everyone's involved in it same with yeah, you cricket, see you, you see know, all the uh, slow motions you see the ball moving you see the angles on the back and you actually all of the crowd are sitting there waiting with bated breath to see did the ball go did it get touched down and it, it, it's actually in rugby it adds to it but I think rugby it's probably done in the stadium particularly you know I've, I've only been to the internationals whereas obviously when you're starting to go to you know the decisions all go somewhere else and I, I think to, to start showing everything would be quite hard I mean I, they are talking about you know with what you're take, talking about you know the line and should the line be redrawn on the offside because if it is ruining the amount of goals because I mean we're talking about Giroud's, Giroud's left toe being over the line slightly and I, I think that's not what offside is meant to you know to, to battle against to combat it, it's that's meant to be from you know just goal hanging and ruining the game and people like, but when you've generally got a two horse race and be and, and there's a toe a toe in it and, and it's it's stopping goals i think it's a it, it's not really doing what it's meant to do so i think the probably the rules of the game need to change slightly now that we've got var i i probably not the other way around i think var's here to stay there's no point moaning about it no, absolutely. And and when it's down to a line, well, you've just got to choose whether to back it or not. A friend of mine said, maybe you could have something like the linesman's call, like in cricket, you get the umpire's call where he decides it's out. And then if it's wildly one way or the other, the decision goes against the umpire's decision. That could be one way of doing it. That was my friend Matt who came up with that. Um, someone, someone said clearly offside. And I think when someone's shoulders, knee and you know, three quarters of their body are offside, you know, a toe should not be clear 
clearly offside. You know, I, listen, I think everyone wants to see goals. Everyone wants to see goals in every match. And, and that will mean that we get goals against us as well. But I think at the moment, it, it's, it's ruling out too many goals. It's as simple as that. Yeah, well, they'll, they'll they'll work something out. They have to because you know this is the biggest game on the planet. The the other thing I'd say, away from offsides, I think things like the Harry Maguire incident. Now, that's open to interpretation. What what somebody views, and the person who's miles and miles away in the cold light of day may look at it in a very different way than when you're actually on the pitch as the referee. I think anything that needs to be interpreted, and I don't mean line calls or whatever, but things like which are a judgment which a referee would normally look at and decide upon, that is when the referee has to go to the side of the pitch and make the call. He should have been called over for that Maguire incident, shown that incident three times, and like in, in rugby, he could even talk to the guy you know who's miles away and say what i'm seeing is Maguire extending his leg straight into mitchy batchwise nuts now is that or is that not a red card oh yeah obviously because testicles are a pr- protected species here so you know let's actually send him off then you make a decision having a decision make uh, what i don't like is the referees now are actually not even the referee anymore now, because actually everything's taken out of their control. I think interpretation needs to be handled by the ref. And that is my last thought on that. So mo- moving on. I, I hope you agree, by the way, Seb. Um, here, here. Yes. Hurrah. Um, okay. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go to that part of the show um, where we have first, worst and best Chelsea games as uh, talked about by people who listen to the show and if you want to take part just get in touch with us on twitter or on instagram and uh, you know if you're very lucky you'll get on this show anyway this week it's a friend of the show clayton beerman who has done his little roundup of first worst and best chelsea games hi this is clayton beerman my first best and worst chelsea game The first time I saw Chelsea live was away at uh, White Hart Lane in 1967. My uh, father's brother was a massive football fan and unfortunately a season ticket holder of the Lily Whites and tried to persuade me to be a Spurs fan. Thankfully he failed, Uh, but the game he took me to was uh, a one-all draw. Bizarrely, my most vivid memory is the fact that I couldn't believe how red John Boyle's legs were against the raw blue of Chelsea. The other major uh, memory is the fact that a guy called Chico Hamilton scored for Chelsea as a 16-year-old, and all these years later still remains the um, youngest ever goalscorer for Chelsea. Being a supporter of many years, um, working out what my worst game was was quite difficult because um, whilst it's hard to believe now, there was a myriad of choice um, as I was growing up. But I settled for 1988, the 1-0 home win against Middlesbrough in the playoffs. In those days, the three championship sides would play off and the winner would play against the worst-placed team in the, it wasn't Premier League, the first division. Um, We'd lost the first leg 2-0, Most of us had actually watched it in cinemas in either Hammersmith or the West End. Um, And that was a pretty bleak result. The hopes were that we'd overturn the defeat at home in the second leg. 
we went 1-0 up relatively early um, and then couldn't score the second goal and we were relegated. We have the dubious honour of being the only first division side as we were then to be relegated via that form of playoff which has subsequently been scrapped proper Chelsea as far as the best game it has to be Bolton away to win the league in 2004 I never thought in my lifetime I'd see us win the league so that has to take pride of place a couple of weeks earlier we played Southampton and the chant went up, 49 years, our time has come. And it was an insistent chant through the second half of that. And it was a goosebump time. And it was like, oh, my God, we're actually going to do it. Being in the stadium and winning that game is just incomparable. The feeling was just amazing. Tears, joy, the whole thing. It was just a, a tremendous day, which was followed by a tremendous evening. We decided to stay up in Bolton and we went back to the pub that we were in before the game and the landlady managed to find us accommodation and we ended up in this hotel which was straight out of Phoenix Nights. We asked them to book us into a Chinese restaurant to go out to eat and a taxi. When we were in the taxi, we asked them about the Chinese restaurant and the immortal phrase came out, pricey but nice. Needless to say, we had an amazing evening. It was pricey, but nice. And we drank lots. And it was just the most amazing thing, all the reminiscing about all the awful times which had ultimately led to where we were that night. So those are my first best and worst Chelsea games. And we're back. So, Seb. That was, uh, I, I love going down memory lane with, with uh, everybody, you know, it's, it's quite exciting. And, and you, know, you remember such things, Bolton away to win the league. Uh, do you remember that feeling when we won the league? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, that was just one of the best days ever. I mean, funny enough, I remember my worst games more than I remember my best games. My worst game probably would be the Man United FA Cup final, the first one we got to. I mean, that was, it was awful. And then I think Boxing Day this year is my second worst game. It was just truly miserable. And it's, it's, it's just stuck in my head more than my best games. But I guess that said something about my character. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of the thing, you know, it's uh, Bolton, I, I just remember disbelief and joy and like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. It was, it was kind of like, you knew it was possibly going to happen. You kind of really knew it was going to happen, but it, I don't know, all those years of misery just disappeared straight down the swanee anyway look the other thing we've got to do we have to take this commercial break because i'm being told if i don't get this in now i'm going to be in big trouble so let's do the commercial break and we'll be back straight after this and here we are so um okay the, the other good news that we've had since the last po podcast is that we have actually bought a player in uh, in Hakim Zayek. Now, he's one of those players. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. Players who perform well against us and then we go and buy them. It we, have a we have a history of that, don't we? <laughs> we have a history well, of buying people that play well against us and then them, you know, really not playing well ever again. Are, are you talking about Robert Fleck? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, Fleck. Uh, who was the guy we bought from Barcelona that sat on the bench for about nine years? Uh, oh, gosh. Oh, what, Winston Bogard? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we, we did, funny enough, we did it with Salah, and we never played him, and then, well, we all know what happened next. Um, yeah, but no, we have... I, I Although, I, I, he does look like a good player, so we'll see. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, 33 million... Uh, sorry, you, you couldn't even buy... Um, let's see, what part of anatomy could you buy from... Um, Oh, some of the other players. Uh, you know, it, it's not a lot of money, is it? You, you know, when when the numbers that are being bandied about for some of these other players, it, it's just seems like good value because not only does he score goals, he also makes goals as well. I think he scored something. Uh, somebody will correct me on Twitter. I, I don't know. I think it's something like 13 goals he scored and 21 assists or something this season. Okay, it's a Dutch league. And let's not forget, Kesman came from there. So we... St- we have to temper everything, you know, but he does look, and, and against us, he did look, he, he's got quality about him, doesn't he? Yeah, I, 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 you know, funny enough, I was watching, running through Twitter and, um, you know, all the, all the sites and showing some really nice, little, you know, Tekka's little skills, you know, very short videos. And, you know, he, he seems a good player, but you're right. He, he seems cheap at that price, but... You know, it, it could be that spark of creativity that we need, what well, we very desperately need. Yeah, I, I think that that's what we need. If somebody can do something a little bit magical, you know, I mean, uh, I, actually, when you compare him with talking about, you know, the amount of money, you look at somebody like Wilfred Zaha, who you're getting quoted 87 million for, and you think, no, not even in the same league. You know, Zaha has not done it at the highest level. Good player, don't get me wrong, but... You know, Zayek suddenly looks like value for money. And I think that, that I think it's interesting because he's he's that next generation on from the kids, isn't he? You know, he's 26 and he'll be 27 when he comes to us. So one would say it's a bit like Real Madrid getting Hazard. Uh, it's that same kind of thing, although Hazard, I think, was 28 when he went. But the idea is we get the best years of this guy. He's established. He knows his game. He understands football. Let's hope that, you know, it, it, it can do something for the team and, and really bring everyone together cohesively. I'm looking forward to seeing him and Pulisic in the same side. I, I think I, I really feel for Pulisic more than any of the other injuries this season. It's been, you know, he, he came in, he got booted out because he wasn't ready, he came back in and started looking the business and then he's out with an injury and uh, it's a it's a little bit concerning you hope that it's kind of like growing pains or something because he does look good doesn't he yeah i think so he's um he he looks really exciting really fast takes people on and and we have missed him no doubt yeah no absolutely so here we go we've got coming up this saturday lunchtime oh my god i don't really like lunchtime games it's it's the return it's the return of monsieur Mourinho and tottenham who would have ever thought we'd say such a sentence it's it's kind of a weird one still isn't it yeah um i i listen I, I think I'm nervy about every single game we play now. So for me to say I'm nervy about this game would be, a, you know, just a massive uh, overstatement. Uh, I'm not even sure how this is going to go. I mean, I think I think every game we seem to struggle at the moment, and I'm I'm I'm. I'm it's hard to see us getting out of this slump. 
Yeah, and when you think, when we played not that long ago, only a few weeks ago, away, we were really a 2-0 side then. We were we were so much better than them. Um, and I just can't see us even coming close to, to doing that to them on Saturday. Um, I'm hopeful that things will turn around. But it is a very, very strange old situation. The fact that home is not a fortress. Home is almost like um, a, a place where you go and receive, you know, Christmas presents <laughs> late. You know, it's... it's <laughs> it's it, it's scary um and how do you think everyone will react to having Mourinho back in charge of Tottenham um I I think Chelsea fans have got over losing Mourinho um and, and I think Tottenham's I, I and I I just because of the board I I, th- I think Tottenham's uh, it looks like an odd place for Mourinho because he's not you know he's a checkbook manager to, to coin a phrase and they're not a checkbook club so how this is going to work for him I don't know so I mean I, I mean my my whole main complaint with Mourinho is that we've had so much talent on our books that he's sold because you know and just bought a, a kind of a, some kind of weird mercenary from you know across the across the sea and he's let so much good talent you know remove itself from our club and and then he lands himself at Tottenham. I, I just it's such a poor fit. But I mean that you know I don't, I, the Tottenham fans seem very happy with him. So we'll see. Yeah, you know it, it's it's a curious situation because actually you look at it, maybe it's quite interesting because he it really goes against his whole philosophy, the squad and the players that he's got. But maybe that's why at the moment he's still smiling and joking and having a laugh because he goes well, you know, this isn't what I would do, so I've just got to go with it. You know, perhaps he's just happy to have a job and be in football at the moment. Um, I, th- I think it'd be a very interesting game uh, against Tottenham. I think, you know, we, dare I say it, I can see us finding a way to get up for this game as opposed to some of the others. Or, you know, I, I, it depends who's fit as well. But I would like to see... Chelsea respond to what happened against United. I mean, it's hopeful because we haven't really responded to previous losses at home. So, you know, but the the, the one thing we know is Mourinho will not come out and attack. He'll do what United did. They'll just go, you know what, count the hours, count the minutes down in the game, and then if we get a chance, we'll just have to take it. And that's the thing. All these sides, whether it's Bournemouth, Southampton, Man United, Arsenal, they've had very few chances but they've been clinical, whereas we've had a lot more chances than teams and we are so profligate. And it's something we've said, not just this season, last season, the season before, we do not take our chances. And finally, this last year or so, we've started suffering because of it. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, one thing I would say, you know, we didn't capitulate against Man United. We were still fighting to the very last minute. That was good to see. I think we will be up for Tottenham. I think, uh, listen, I think Chelsea are always up for Tottenham. And even when Tottenham were really, really good, they had that, you know, some great season. And whenever they play us, you know, I think it was, it was very difficult. I think Chelsea, Chelsea always find themselves as this is the kind of game they want to win. Um, you're right. I mean, home just seems like, you know, it should be fort- a fortress and it just isn't. It just seems, I, I don't I don't know whether the fans get in their back a little bit or they're nervous playing in front of the fans because they realise the fans are getting frustrated. I don't know what it is because, well, I'll tell you what it is. 
It's not a fortress, it's a bouncy castle. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but no one's home form should be that bad. I mean, no one's home form should be that bad. So, I don't know, but I I still think we're going to win on on, uh, Saturday. Good, I love that blind faith. All right, well, give me your prediction. What's the score going to be? (laughs) 2-1. 2-1. I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go for the score you keep saying 2-0. That's what I'm going to go for. I'm going to okay. go for... It's a sign. It is a sign. It's Seb's 2-0. You've been Brilliant. signposting it the whole of the programme. So, yeah. Well, that's it. We're, we're, we're out of time now. So, uh, can I just say, it's been absolutely marvellous having you on the show. It's great to chat, as always. I hope you've enjoyed it, Seb. You know, I always love and, a rant. Uh, um, and even, even though I'm ranting, I am smiling, as long as you know that. Yeah, well, don't smile when you're DJing, though, okay? <laughs> just, just don't do it. But no, it's been great, as always. So, yeah, well, we'll be back next week. And thank you, as always, to Naz. Thank you to Clayton Beerman for doing his piece. And thanks to Seb. All right, we'll see you all next week. Cheers, Em. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.